architecture and design. And yes, we are talking with Robin Lindsay. From Gaia. That's right. You're, you're a partner at Gaia, aren't you? I'm not, not a partner at Gaia, but I'm, I'm a, the innovation and thought leader okay. at Gaia. So tell me about Gaia. So Gaia is an interior design um, organisation working across the southeast and Asian region, um, mm-hmm. in particular in Australia, across all states of Australia and, and from a Singapore studio, um, and servicing clients, international clients and Australian national clients mm-hmm. um, in workplace, in retail, education and hospitality mm-hmm. in those sectors. Um, and with a very... Um, differentiated approach to design through not just strategy but looking at all of our projects through the eyes of the humans that are going to be using and living lives uh, whether it's working lives or shopping times or educational lives in the spaces that we create of the the humans that are going to use them so we design from the inside out okay so let's talk about humans humans that work let's talk about Mm. the world of workplace design Um, I want to know is is technology leading designers such as yourself um, is it in terms of where workplace design is going or is it is a generation slash culture that is leading workplace or changing workplace design or is it technology or is it a bit of both? It's, it is a bit of all of those things. It's all of those things, okay. But what we as designers need to do increasingly is make sure that we keep the balance right between all of those things and where design fails often is that some of those get out of sync. So technology, the impact of technology, say, on design, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. might bring a skew to the experience of the people who are using those spaces that becomes too technologically determined or technologically dependent, which then breaks down efficiencies, breaks down the human factor of creativity, you could argue ideation, all of those things that we need to work with every day um, can be seriously out of sync if, if from a design perspective we're too dependent on any one of those things. In other words, mm-hmm. I've, seen, I've seen workplaces that are fundam- some spaces within those that are dependent on technology and if the technology fails then you have wasted effort and wasted, right. wasted um, um, intent. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I'll give you an example. Yeah, uh, recently on a, on a project, and this is working the other way, um, our design approach was about what what is in our lives the antithesis of the impact that digital and technology has on us. How do we keep balance between in our worlds around the the analog and the digital impacts? So we designed a workspace that where there were just an, um, rooms where we could simply have no technology and have analog where the individuals who were going there for different activities in their workplace were focused were actually almost forced to focus on each other and collaborate through using whiteboards using okay. the space using the walls we had wall floor to wall whiteboards for instance and big pieces of butcher paper recycled butcher paper all sorts of things that you could use in those rooms and no technology um, that's cha- that's seen the change of those people who are who are now selecting to use those spaces rather than to go into other spaces that are that are that are dominated mm-hmm. by big screens and and different software platforms and the like that they were using so some people don't think about that they just 
apply all the digital to spaces, which immediately determines the behaviour that the people will necessarily use in them. Okay, so there's been a lot of things I've heard here. Agile mm-hmm. workplaces. Um, what else was it? The anti-workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, the coffers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is there one concept, one idea that's predominating or is it like horses for courses? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like in, 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 in the financial sector in Brisbane, we've got this this design's predominating, whereas in the, oh, I don't know, in the whatever management consultancy area in Sydney, you've got this area. Is there a sort of a, what, what are we seeing? If there's one concept, yeah, it's that all of those are used in different ways in different, okay. you know, in different sectors. So... Um, there's difference between. I've just been in Singapore for a few for a while. Right. Um, you know, there's different ways of very different ways of working there, and different um, okay. different organisations resistant to change. Right. Um, much more so than in Australia. Then you get in Australia and you get different sectors. So you get legal firms that are a lot more reticent, generally speaking, hmm. not all of them, but more reticent about yeah. working in an agile way, and there's a lot more connected and 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 needing. Um, to to maintain their own workspace and oh, okay. own their own workspace, so every day they go to the same environment mm-hmm. um, and be reassured that they have certain functionalities around their space, wow, okay. rather than taking on an agile way of working. Um, then you get other organisations who, and there's one I've worked with recently, who thought that they needed um, space for 60 people to work. They needed 60 workstations to work right. in because they had 60 people. And then they realised that um, more than half the time there are only really about 20, 25 people in the workplace. Now they had investigated whether or not they should work in an agile way, how many seats, how many ergonomic settings they, they should use, and it all turned out very differently in the end. And it was very quickly actually after they moved into that space that they realised that they were needing a lot less work settings so what that meant was that they could actually grow a lot faster in numbers um, to, and changing the ratios of their people to workstations than they had ever imagined so there's all there, there's, there are savings there aren't there there mm-hmm. are there are there are money savings mm-hmm. there's energy and utility mm-hmm. savings so there's, there's a sustainability bent on there I've noticed there is a flexibility is um, very high on the list of what millennials seem to like um and there's also the the issue of you know not not having to obviously needing as much space just practicality Mm. is that are they some of the only benefits or are there more look i think there's a lot more benefits i tend to think about workspace and the ways that people work being more character driven than generationally driven so the ways that people work um can be there's two or three dimensions to one, character and personality of individuals can impact the way they think and the way that they want to work or the way, where they want to go, um, how agile they might be by nature, how okay. energetic they are, all those sorts of things. So I rule out at risk with, amongst some of my colleagues, rule out generational things because okay. you see it across all generations, different behaviours. Okay. And some, you know, you get some um, older people who are up and running around and a lot more agile and you'll get um, in some new chums into organisations who and I've seen this recently where they 
the newer additions to the organisation wanted to be seen to be sitting, sitting at the one spot so they could be seen by their superiors in the organisation to be working and working hard and therefore be in a line for um, promotion, you know, and be acknowledged as being hard workers and the like. So there's all this sublim- subliminal kind of symbolism that can happen with the way people, the people, you know, how they work and how they want to be seen, how their own identity, you know, needs to be nurtured or needs to be supported within the way they think about themselves in their workforce and in their organisation. Um, so it's just that one, little one, one, and and I should add to that that some are in that organisation, some of the younger ones were the greatest, greater resistance resistors to the change and to the um, suggestion that they all work in an agile way because they didn't want to leave their the people to whom they reported or who were going to be doing their their um you know having to to um, be reviewing them every year because they they wanted to be seen to be on hand so yeah so there's a personality and then there's the tasks that you do you know your your workplace is very different to a lot of other workplaces where we're sitting today having this it's absolutely about a toolbox for for what you need to do and where you need to be so you mentioned all of those different sorts of workplaces before that can you can touch every one of those in one day you know one one working person can touch one of those every day okay so to me agile means being able to have access to but that's being determined by the individual and what your choice is. Yeah. I would rather work, I would do my best work if I was sitting in a tree house in a tree somewhere. My employer would get the best from me to go and write a piece, write a thought piece in a remote location somewhere yeah. immersed in nature. Just saying, for example. Okay. But I will never do my best work at, my, at a desk or at a horizontal bench. way in terms of your role you're not just a designer or interior designer you're actually a um, you're part psychologist absolutely. part sociologist yeah, absolutely uh, part of, part quite a few things jack of all trades really well that's why i mentioned in the beginning you know that we're that we design for humans so you have to say the first question you have to ask yourself is what matters to the people who are working or shopping or yeah. learning in the spaces that we're designing what really matters, matters to yeah. them and and when you unpeel the onion of what matters sometimes you get to things that are pretty fundamental and pretty pretty fundamental to humans being happy and being in a good physical and mental place mm-hmm. okay. and physical place doesn't do it on its own being in a great mental place does so if you're happy, and you know, if you're content, if you're stimulated, you're motivated, you feel good about yourself, uh-huh. you feel good about your organisation, the colleagues that you work with, then the rest will follow. So you can a physical environment can support all of that, but it can't change um, the, uh, uh, in an ongoing way. It can't change. Okay. Fascinating, actually. Okay. Retail design is another area that you work in or excel in, rather. What are some of the biggest things that are, that are happening in retail design in Australia, I mean? Like globally. Mm. And why do they matter? Is increased sustainability um, an important driver behind retail design changes? Um, are there other factors at play as well? Hot topic 
sustainability in retail in the one in the one sentence. Yeah, straws packaging. Oh. Yeah, could, could we could we go on for for days on this? We could talk on and on. <laughs> we could we could indeed. And look, well, how do you know? It, it's a dilemma from a designer's with it. As a designer who designs with conscience, I find it's a real dilemma in trying to perpetrate and 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 work for organisations that don't have mindfulness and don't have a conscience about what they're providing right. in terms of the way they package their product, the nature of the product even. I'm finding getting deeper into that is a really important thing that we do and to have conversations with our clients around some of those things. And so um, I, I was contemplating some supermarket chains who have demonstrated that their share share the return on to their shareholders has increased as some of their numbers have increased as a result of them providing little throwaway plastic bags uh, toys toys ah oh, so right so think about the little incentives to yes. spend so much money that's all going to end up in landfill you know those things yeah those little ooshy things yeah I won't use the names because it identifies the right. organisations but the, the, it's quite a thing and so you know like is that a good idea no um for the when you look at it from a environmental even a social um framework Mm -hmm. so how do we impact and how do we have the conversations you know from our perspective with clients who are doing those sorts of things from an environmental and social point of view but let's get back to your question around you know different sorts of um, retail or mm. changes in retail. Obviously, you know, online shopping and the whole relationship of online and physical environments is is um, one that's been changing a lot. And there's a little bit of a cycle happening. A lot of physical retailers who didn't necessarily have an online presence have now realised and have developed an online presence. Now a lot of them have gone so far online that they're realising that they haven't necessarily got any loyalty left or any they're not in touch with with their customers so they don't necessarily know why people are buying or why they're not buying so some of them we've had come back to us recently and said that we've gone too far online we've lost them so let's get back into to a physical environment that can actually attract people so that we can keep relationships happening and conversations and understand how they're feeling about us and what they're thinking about us as an organization so um, you know, banks is a banks are a really good example of that. You know, where they they actually had strategies, say five years ago, on how can we um, how can we design our branches so that we can interact more with our customers and help to teach them to bank online and to do a whole lot of activities online. So we did that. We built strategies and physical um, environments for them, new branches, the branch of the future, and all of that. Now they've come back. One I had a conversation with one large global uh, retail banker the other day and they were they asked me the question uh, they said if I could solve this problem for them what they needed to know was what could they do in their branches that was destinational that would attract customers back into the branch because they'd become too disenfranchised with their customers and that was a very interesting topic and I said if your board and your executives don't know the answer to that question, there's a lot more thinking that needs to be done because that's got to become a real strategic imperative and they have to understand what their purpose is, you know, before they can start to translate that into 
what's the experience going to be for customers coming into their retail branches? That is interesting because we have then two models, don't we? We have Amazon, mm-hmm. which is totally virtual. Mm-hmm. Well, it is actually totally virtual. I mean, its shopfront is totally virtual. Its back end is mm-hmm. very, mm-hmm. very um, real. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then we've got, you know, we've seen recently David Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like it's going to be um, cutting a few stores, perhaps, and and staff because it, it's losing money, mm. whereas. Amazon's exploding everywhere. So, but using that David Jones example, they've just they've just um, they've just announced that they're providing product to BP service stations. Yes, I, I saw that. Yeah. So it's kind of you know like a lot of the retailers are really having to re-examine their formats, you know, and their whole network. The whole network of stores and where their product, you know, who who they're partnering with to get their product through other channels. So that's not being a department store anymore. And that's what I said to the banks the other day. You know, it's around what is a bank. (laughs) A a bank, even the word bank, you know, defines what a bank is, whereas it shouldn't. And so David Jones, as you look at that model, isn't a department store anymore. Because if they're going into a model supplying product to BP service stations, you could ask yourselves, what are they in the business of now? So that's the that's the challenge for a lot of retailers, in my view, to be able to start to have those conversations about what the network needs to be, but what's the purpose and why will people buy their product? And therefore, where will they buy the product from? Examples from overseas. Is there anything we can learn from overseas in terms of this this type of um this trend, or, or or are we actually on a you know, on the cutting edge here? Um, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of variation across globally across different countries, and Australia is a bit different because we've got a very small population. So, to in some ways, if you look at how supply chains are working through retail in China and some Asian countries. There's no way that we can do the same thing and have the same density and the same um, investment in creating experiences in stores necessarily in such a consistent way across networks in Australia because you just haven't got the population. Um, so I think, I think it's horses for courses really. It's around um, localization of product presentation and experience what's relevant what's experience what what relevance is yeah, the experience and what matters to the lo- to local population who are likely to be purchasers in physical stores in mm-hmm. particular um, and that and that, like that's different you, you get it there's difference between Perth and Sydney difference between Perth and Melbourne even between Sydney and Melbourne so I think one of the best opportunities for retailers is just to start to localise more and build relevance into the experience they're providing for their customers through using data but at the same time using observation and using you know intelligence about the local market and and the nature of the customers their local customers because there's one oh sorry one other thing I was going to say there a really 
boring thing about retail is I remember the first time this happened to me I went on an, I went overseas and um, I think it was in the early days when um, some, when we were starting to really become globalised in our retail in, in Australia we're getting a lot of the international brands out here and I went on this trip and I thought oh, I can't, I'm so excited about seeing what's happening in retail you know in Europe and UK and then I realised oh God, you know, every time I got into an airport or I arrived in a city, I remember the Zara stores in particular, mm. they were all the same. And I thought, you know, they've got the same presentation of product in a store in Oxford Street, London, as what they'd had, you know, in Burke Street Mall in Melbourne. Mm. I was like, oh, now I've got, to, I've got to seek further to find something that's different, you know, and find okay. product that's different and have an experience that I want to represent, you know, the value, make my time more valuable and more fun. And it was then I realised that globalisation was going to really stuff up the whole retail experience. You don't go, you don't go for retail experience shopping down Oxford Street in London now to see what everyone's up to because it's actually you kind of know it already. Maybe disruption is um, oh. overarching. Oh, I lo- disruption's more for me. Disruption's more. You can in design, you can be too derivative. You know, I remember someone once saying to me when I was an early um, interior designer, they said, "Oh, all designs derivative," and I thought, "Oh, I'm going to show the world that it's not." You know, I've got. And did, did you? I would have thought, well, probably not really. <laughs> it's probably in some way you're influenced by a whole lot of other oh, things. Sure. But I think to get away from direct derivation in design, i.e., copying or being influenced by trend and flavour and all that sort of stuff is not a great uh, uh, personal this is an absolute personal view but I don't enjoy that so but I love and enjoy extrapolating from the diversity of things that you can think about you know into creating something that's new and different but relevant and the relevancy comes from understanding what's immediately around you you know the people that mm-hmm. are around and who are going to be enjoying the spaces and places that you contribute to their creation and not you know cookie cutting not designing something because you saw something like it somewhere else before I just love new thought and the challenge of brain expansion you know think of something different and and people love it you know and if if it comes from your heart and it comes from understanding the fundamentals of what people really love and respond to and that's a global thing often you know because it's about it's about how they're in contact with nature how they're in contact with other humans how it brings out the best in people how you can actually have positive spaces and places hey if you can design those sort of things if people are do good things and have great experiences to me and that's relevant to the local flavor, the local uh, culture if you like then we just hold on uh, hold on to some sort of um, it, it's kind of connected to placemaking you know you can't have you can't have global placemaking where placemaking principles end up being vanilla spaces and places you go to cities around the world and they're defined by their city squares and their public spaces and places. That's what we want to keep and we should be doing in interiors. Mm-hmm. What is one thing, can be anything, that is begging to be redesigned and but it's not? I mean, if you walk around, you you fly around, you see things everywhere. What is one thing that you really think that needs to be redesigned that you've noticed 
um, the, just the way you described that, I immediately thought of uh, streetscapes, streetscapes and public places. And I, I think... Where? In a lot of cities. Okay. In cities. And I think because they've been determined by automobiles, by cars and by... That, we're, that humans have taken... Humans have been pushed onto a footpath. You know, they're given, you know, three metres outside, you know, a row of shops to walk down... Um, they're dodging rubbish bins and, you know, you know the, the, the experience isn't anything to do with okay. what comes naturally and having a good time, enjoying. So to me, I, I think um, the cityscapes and, you know, are going to be influenced increasingly by the change in our transport systems mm-hmm. and in car design. So I think this is going to enable us to get some more space given back to humans in CBDs and in, in especially in sort of highly dense um, cityscapes to me that's where revolution should happen more oh well we'll we'll end on that revolutionary note Robin uh, Robin Lindsay it has been absolutely fascinating thank you Um, um, actually I always I I always enjoy a podcast where I learn something (laughs) Um, Robin Lindsay from Gaia thank you very much you've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design until next time goodbye (laughs) 